All right, well, there is one group of people in our society that most of the world, I think, looks down upon um, that I personally believe is the most courageous, fearless group of people anywhere else. You might be wondering, although I think we just gave it away, um, go back, <laughs> trigger happy. <laughs> you never know who it's going to be. Could be a red herring. Uh, you may be wondering, is it Christian nationalists? No, that, 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 you might think that. No. You may be wondering, is, is, it, is it Aggie football fans? Um, and which, you know, if anyone, uh, myself in particular, is willing to even show their face after the football season they've had this year, then yes, I think you could be counted as very courageous. Uh, however, what I personally believe is that skaters um, would be the most courageous group of people. What? <laughs> Oh, y'all are faking excitement? What? <laughs> I like this. Let's have more of this in our church. Uh, this is great. Especially when it's sarcastic. Yeah, just keep doing that to me. I won't get off topic or anything. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I do believe they're the most courageous people in the world because, I mean, to think, I'll jump down that. That takes courage, right? Like... <laughs> Have you seen some of their falls that they've taken as well? I mean, to, to, to see what they go through as they fall and to think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that again. <laughs> I'm going to master this craft. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump up onto this curb. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, this skateboard and ollie up, which is a feat in itself, to get it's so much air, to jump onto a, a metal thin bar and scrape down it. They call it grinding, but just scrape down it, balancing yourself. You can keep scrolling. There's some more images um, of different ways. And then to, to end like this, and you start wondering, are they crazy or are they just courageous? <laughs> just, just the fact that they're willing to go through all of this, to fight through the pain and say, I'm going to master this. My, my personal belief, and I would love someone to do a study on this, this is maybe your doctorate, um, what someone might do here, is where do these skaters end up in life? I personally think they're become, becoming world leaders. Because if you're willing to go down that, you're willing to take on anything, right? <laughs> I will follow you. <laughs> you're willing to do that. And you know he's done it once and he fell, <laughs> and yet he's doing it again. And so today... Um, we're not just talking about courage, we're going to talk about risk. Risk. Uh, what is risk? Oxford Dictionary says that risk is a situation involving exposure to danger, or the verb there is to expose someone or something valued to danger, harm, or loss. And so, what risks are you willing to take? Next year, I turn 40, and I am going to go skydiving. Always been a plan. My wife is going, <laughs> oh gosh, so much talking today. Okay, <laughs> I realize that's extreme, but <laughs> what daily risks are you taking? I mean, just driving is a risk, right? Just you, You've decided I'm willing to take that risk. Just breathing the same air as someone next to you is a risk, right? <laughs> you know, everyone's going... <laughs> 
right? There's, these are risks that we said are, we are willing to take. Is it risky to trust God? Absolutely it is. <laughs> you don't know what's coming. We don't know what's going to happen when we, when we do trust God. And so that's what I want us to talk about today is the risk of trusting God. The risk of trusting God. Uh, and as you may see in your bulletin, instead of giving you the, the points here, I'm giving you some fill-in-the-blank lines here. Maybe you'll stay with me. That's my hope. That's the prayer. And so um, a quick recap of where we're at. Maybe this is your first time. Hi, my name is Slim. I'm a pastor here at Mosaic. I did not introduce myself. Glad you're here. Um, we are in the book of Isaiah. He's a contemporary to Amos and Hosea and Micah. He's a counselor to kings. He's a prophet uh, for God to his people, and he's a writer who the Holy Spirit takes his book and has inspired it, and he is the most quoted author in the New Testament outside the book of Psalms. And Jesus, in his very first public sermon, preaches from Isaiah. So Isaiah is kind of a big deal, right? Like, he's, he's an important dude. And so he is now coming to the king. Isaiah is speaking to kings. Last week we heard that King Uzziah has died, and today we're introduced to his unbelieving grandson, Ahaz. Ahaz is his unbelieving grandson of King Uzziah. He is now sitting on the throne at the young age of 20 years old. Being a king at the age of 20 seems like you get yourself into a lot of trouble, and that's what happens. Uh, now, in Israel and Judah, they've had some bad kings in their history, but Ahaz is the worst. <laughs> Ahaz is the worst, <laughs> right? Uh, he is the worst, Bur Ahaz. And yet God deals graciously with Ahaz. He cares enough for him to deal graciously with him. And so our first point today is your fears are real. Your fears are real. And so I think so many times we as pastors um, take times like this in our sermons to say, the safest place you can be is in God's will. Hmm. <laughs> is it? <laughs> but what I want us to see is that Ahaz has some legitimate fears in front of him. Verse 2 tells us that Syria, or Aram, um, is in league with Ephraim. Uh, the northern kingdom. And so just a, a quick history. God's people, uh, you, have, you have the 12 tribes uh, of Israel, and you have the 10 tribes up north. You have the two tribes down south with Benjamin and Judah. And Isaiah is saying that the southern nation is getting stabbed in the back by their northern brothers and sisters, by their own kind, because they have now partnered with this evil king of Syria, and they together want to put a puppet king in place of Ahaz, someone that they can control, that they can be in charge of. And so Ahaz, as you, can, you would expect, is worried about this. They're going to depose him and most likely kill him. And so our text tells us that he is shaken like a tree, like a tree shaking in the wind. Have you ever had a, your body respond to fear in such a way that, you know, physiolo physiologically, it's a hard word, your body shakes because of there's so much fear in you that you just, maybe it's public speaking or whatever it might be. That's, a, that's an easy one. But sometimes that's, it's the fear of failure that your body just responds to that, that trauma because you, there's so much pressure being put upon you. Uh, maybe it's fear of losing your job. 
Maybe it's fear um, of, of a hard conversation you have to have with someone and you're worried of how they might take it. Maybe it's fear of your child's future. I mean, these are legitimate fears that we all have. They're legitimate. And verse 3 shows us that Ahaz has legitimate fears in front of him. He was, he was investigating the city's water supply up there on the aqueduct there. Um, and if a siege was going to come to their city, he's wondering how long can we withstand this siege? Because our water supply is, is one big well. And if that goes out, we're in trouble. And so he's now worried for his people, how long will we have before we die? Very legitimate fear that a king should be thinking about. And so these are legitimate fears that I want us to see here. And I'm asking you, what, what, is, what, is, what is making you anxious these days? What is making you panic these days? And worried about? Am I, am I worried about, am I, am I messing my kids up? Parents, I think we worry that a lot. Am I messing, am I messing them up? with my parenting. Now, am I going to make rent this much, this month? Is our marriage even going to last? These are legitimate fears. Like, and, and I want us to see, I want you to hear from me this morning as a pastor going, these are legitimate fears, and I don't know the answer to, the, to those questions. That we want to say, Let's, we got to focus in on those. We can't just go, no, have faith over fear in these moments. Like that, that was many churches' answer to the response to COVID of when people said we should put masks on and they said, no, faith over fear because it's cowardly to wear a mask. No, no. I mean, we lock our cars because we think there's some wisdom there, right? Like uh, we get CAT scans when we're worried about something. We assess investments. Is this a good investment or bad investment? We use our wisdom on what to do. I mean, even God told Elijah in another story to run and hide from King Ahab. He told Paul to, to sneak out of prison in the middle of night. And so to use wisdom in these moments, it, it, it's, God's not saying be fearless and be stupid and be reckless. That's not what he's saying. Like, should I invest in crypto or not? Right now feels like a time we should be using wisdom. Maybe not looking great. <laughs> Many times we have wisdom in deciding what to do. And so we have to use our wisdom with real threats. And so I want to affirm that. And yet, the second point here is that God is greater than your fears. That God is greater than your fears. Our fears are real, yes, and yet God is greater than our fears. Verse 4, uh, God's saying to Isaiah, say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of the two smoldering stubs of firewood. And so first he says, be careful. Use wisdom in, in how you proceed. But keep calm. Oh. <laughs> don't be afraid. Like, don't we see that God is always bigger than our fears? Don't we realize that, that, that God has actually got us in these moments? Like, Ahaz, don't you realize who you're dealing with is what God is trying to tell him. Like, Rezin has jurisdiction over Israel, and Pekah has jurisdiction over Syria, but I rule the world. And so what <laughs> if these two kings come at you? He says these two smoldering stubs of firebrands, which is meaning to say 
There's smoke. All these two kings are is just smoke. There's no fire. There's no power behind them coming at you. God is trying to say, and your anxiety and feverish preparations are unnecessary. I got you. That's a message we want to hear today, yes? Do you trust God? I think many of us say we do, but we say, well, I've affirmed the creeds. I've affirmed the Nicene Creed, and I've affirmed all the Apostles' Creed. But do you trust God in the crisis? Is the times when I think our faith is met and it's tested to decide, is it real or not? Do I trust God in the crisis? And so that is what God is, is doing here. He's trying to say that your fears are real, but there's something more real than that. Faith doesn't eliminate fear. It shifts the focus. Let me say that again. Faith doesn't eliminate fear. It shifts the focus. It shifts the focus off of those things itself and puts them on the creator to say there's something more real here than these two kings who are coming after you right now. So the, this God, the Holy One of Israel, is great enough, he's wise enough, is transcendent enough, he can be trusted, and if Israel can only just get a sniff of that vision, then they could have hope. But as the Lord predicted, they wouldn't listen to it. The Lord said, told Isaiah last week in chapter 6 that they're not going to listen to you. They're, it's going to fall on deaf ears, and the vision's going to be unintelligible to their eyes. And so because of this, God says to Ahaz in verse 11, Ask the Lord your God for a sign. He's trying to help Ahaz. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights, God is saying, I know you're going to doubt, and so ask me of a sign, and I'll give it to you. Like, Whatever your, your deepest imagination, dream up this, this big sign. You could say, I want to see a, a star shoot across the galaxy. Ask whatever it is, Ahaz, and I will give it to you. And Ahaz feigns religious piety, fakes to say, oh, I could never ask that of you, Lord. You are not supposed to test the Lord your God. He's trying to tell God what God is doing wrong. And God, like, God is saying, I'm trying to help you. Like verse 12, Ahaz says, I will not put the Lord to the test. And God is saying, test me. Do it. Test me now. And this is where we come to the third point. If you don't stand firm, you will fall flat. If you don't stand firm, you will fall flat. And that's not just like a fun saying to say like that. That comes from verse 9. In verse 9, God says to him, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Death blow. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a punch to the gut for God to say that to you. That if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And I think many of us have felt that before. That when I've, when I've questioned my faith, when I've doubted my faith, it feels like I'm standing on quicksand. Everything is, 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 is just in panic mode, right? Nothing feels secure. Nothing feels certain in those moments when, I've, when I, I, I'm doubting my faith. And I'm doubting now everything around me. And some of you all might be in that moment right now. And you feel like you're in quicksand. And in that, in that moment when you're, when you're panicking, that panic overwhelms and you grab for anything, right? If you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. 
And what does what, what Ahaz do in his panic that it's now taking over him? He sees these two kings that God says are nothing. Ahaz, though, doesn't risk trusting in God. He trusts in himself. And so he invites Assyria to be his ally. It's hard to see. There's Syria and Assyria, two different countries here. But what this is happening here, this is like, this is like asking Russia of modern day today to be your ally. To say, you, superpower, who is so fixated on building your own empire, I want you to come and to be my ally. You know that's not going to work out for them. But that's what Ahaz does. And his decision to appeal to Assyria has spiritual implications as well as political ones. Because when you want Assyria's help, strings come attached. And when you want Assyria's help, the strings that come attached mean that you have to procure a covenant relationship with her. And this covenant would involve the recognition of Assyria's gods and the admission to their lordship. And what this would mean is that Ahaz would then have to sacrifice his own son to Baal. And that's exactly what he does. And so what we need to see is that the, the real threat to Judah was not Syria, it was not Israel, but it was Assyria. And that just gives us this lesson that that which you are most anxious about isn't what is most dangerous to you. That which you are most anxious about isn't what is most dangerous to you. It's the crutch that you are trusting in these times that becomes the greatest threat. Those fears are real, yes, but what's more worrisome than those fears is the panic-driven responses to those fears, that crutch that we cling to. And what is that for you? Is it the bottle? Is it the click? Is it endless swiping? Whatever escape that is that we are just running to in these, these fear-driven times, or maybe it's when the panic has taken over, we make irrational decisions. This is the most dangerous element in our life. The initial stress or fear doesn't concern me as much as the secondary fear that when I'm stressed, I make those irrational decisions, I jump to those conclusions, and my panic is now driving me. And so just as Ahaz has left reality to trust Assyria, we do the same thing when we don't trust the Lord our God. When we say it's too risky to trust God. So I'll trust Assyria. And so until a person or a nation is convinced of God's complete trustworthiness, they cannot lay aside their own lust for their own security. Because you can't trust in God, you better find a way to feel secure. And we can think of our own nation's ever-growing military budgets. And you can look at this chart here of how it's grown. We think in 1960, our military budget was $47 billion dollars. In 1960, which for reference, if you go to the next slide, we can see these other countries are what they're doing. It's more than what countries are doing today. But what we have today, what we spend on tanks and drones and anti-aircraft missiles and assault rifles and ammunition, $778 billion on war chariots to put our hope and faith and trust in for our own security. 
And then I, just to be sure, I double-checked what is it that we've actually budgeted for it. It's gone up. We now have an updated budget of $1.64 trillion. That Not just what they've spent, what we have said you can spend. <laughs> like, we are so addicted to weapons in this country. Like, these weapons put us in more occupied territories, put more innocent civilians in harm's way, put more of our fellow Americans in harm's way, flood nations with weapons everywhere, equipping the world to ultimately kill itself. And we as taxpayers are complicit in that. It's a great evil that we rest in trust in. Well, at least we have those guns, and they don't. But every crutch that we trust instead of God will ultimately be more dangerous to us than those fears. To Ahaz, God will sound the whistle that he talked about sounding in chapter 5. And in verse 18, it says these insects of flies and bees will come upon them, which depicts um, the swarming, suffocating, inescapable aspects of the enemy allies coming upon them. And even more vividly in verse 20, you see the Lord using Assyria as a hired razor <laughs> to shave the last whiskers of dignity from Judah. Whew. Our panic comes for us in the end. It always does. And so what? Here's our last point. Fear not. I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you, that God is with you. Do you believe that? God is with us. Though Ahaz didn't want a sign, he said, no, Lord, I don't want the sign. God says, ah, I'll give you a sign. He didn't say, ah. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so if you've been around church for some time now, that name Emmanuel sounds familiar, right? It sounds like what we sing around at Christmas, right? As we enter this Christmas season, you're going to see that name more and more often. In Matthew 1.23, Matthew says this promise that Isaiah makes is about Jesus. In verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, Bible scholars everywhere. Is this prophecy for Ahaz and Ahaz's time, or is it for 700 years later for Jesus and Jesus's time? Yes. That's what I wrote down too. <laughs> how, how do we understand that? The way we understand this is that this sign that was originally given to Ahaz, it has a single, single meaning but a double significance. A single meaning, but a double significance. Its single meaning is that God is with us and we need not fear what other human beings may do to us. Emmanuel means that God is with us and that we need not fear what other human beings may do to us. The double significance, though, here is, is the, first sentence, the first significance is for Ahaz's own day. He need not go to Assyria because God is with Judah. But it also points to us, to God being with us. When Jesus incarnated himself, 
And he, he stepped into his own story, and he walked among us, and he cast out demons, and he set the prisoners free, and he fed, fed the hungry. And to us, God with us is the best news in the world. Emmanuel is the best news in the world. That we don't have to panic. But, believe it or not, that sign that Emmanuel, that God gives to Ahaz, was not a welcome sign. To hear that God is with them was not a great comfort as it is to us, to Ahaz. Because God is with us is great news for God's allies, but it's, it's terrible news for his enemies and for the wicked. That's like having a superhero go behind enemy lines, right? They're with you. And so God is with Ahaz in this time, and that is bad news for them. Because while we take great relief in hearing something like, you know, no matter how large or scary a nation is, the Lord is in control. And we're like, we take great relief in that. But to the nation whose sole aim is to be the largest, scariest, biggest military industrial complex, that's bad news. Because what that means is, if God is in control, then they are not. And that's bad news for that nation. And for Ahaz, this came true. In chapter 8, verse 3, there's a son born named Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which is Isaiah's son. And his name means quick to plunder, swift to spoil. What a great name for your son. <laughs> quick to plunder, swift to spoil. And he is, as many scholars believe, the Emmanuel child. That God was with them. And yes, that means bad news for Syria and for Jerusalem and Assyria, but it also means bad news for Judah. And so what is the risk of trusting God is the big question. And I think I want to flip it and ask, well, I think the better question is, what's the risk of not trusting God? What's the risk of not trusting in God? What's the risk if we do nothing? And I would just say that's where most of us are at. That we just trust in ourselves so much. And it almost feels foreign to actually put our hope and faith and trust in a God in these times. Like, and so I think sometimes the, the sin itself is the punishment that God gives. So the, the lack of trust is the punishment itself. So when I'm in conflict with someone, I don't have anywhere to turn to if I don't trust in God. When I'm discouraged by my status in life, and all I have is me. I don't, I don't have anyone to come to and say, Lord, what, what are you doing behind the scenes? That's a very lonely place to be. When I'm worried about what, what's going on with our nation, it feels like we're just tearing ourselves apart. Then I can, I'm, I'm more likely then to go into panic and do something idiotic. And so to you who feel paralyzed by fear or worry or anxiety, I, wanted to, I just want to invite you into the refreshing streams of the gospel. That you are not alone. God is with you. He is with us even now. That God truly does love you. Even when you are in this, this time of fear. But you don't have to be paralyzed by that fear. You know when, when, when God's people were about to go into the promised land? He tells them in Joshua 1.9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you 
wherever you go. That God is going to be with you as you're into this. And so how do you push through your fears today? How do you, you, you have to at some point. You just, by sharing the air with people, you have to. How do you push through your fears? It's knowing that you are not alone. You don't have to go through whatever that is alone. Knowing you don't go it alone changes everything. That's the game changer. And you are never alone. When Jesus sends out his disciples on the great commission, his, his last words, his parting words to them was this in Matthew 28. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so I want you to hear this morning, God is with us. Amen? God is with you. God is with you. God is with you online, even if you're not here. But you know what? You ever, you ever just, maybe in this moment, you're like, okay, I hear that, but I don't feel it. You ever just doubt that? Let me just give you a word of encouragement from 1 John. This, this to me was encouraging me. 1 John 4.12 says, no one has ever seen God. Just stop right there. <laughs> to me, <laughs> that felt very encouraging. <laughs> because when all, everyone else is going, like, I've had these great experiences with God, and I've seen him do these great works, and you're like, I've not seen him. <laughs> Thankfully, 1 John's telling me, no one has ever seen God. That's just a, re a relief to me. But it goes on. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so how do we see God being with us? The answer is I, I see it in you. That I see it in the way that you love one another. It completes God's love. And that's what I see when God says, I am with you. That you are the greatest single image of God on this earth. That when the world wants to see God's face, he looks at you. The image of God, the, the imago Dei, walking around here on earth. And not just the image, but the way that we love one another completes that image and help us, helps us to see that I am not alone. The way you love one another, the way you care for one another, whether you guys have rallied around people who are going through hard things in our church, makes me see that we are not alone. We are never alone. And so if you've been coming here to Mosaic for a while and you feel like I'm in a dry place, I don't, I don't feel like I, I really feel God's presence, and maybe you feel like you've been trusting in anything and everything but God, and, you, and you're, you've been trying to run and hustle and work hard and hard and hard, but it just, it just feels like you're just drinking salt water and nothing seems to quench that, that thirst, I want to encourage you this morning to drink from the living well of Jesus and the gospel here this morning, that God is with you. That just as he told Ahaz to not worry, to just, just be, I want to encourage you this morning to not worry and to just be and to, to feel God's love all around you just by you being here today or coming around one another to shout that message. And so, yes, your fears are real, but God is greater than your fears. And if you don't stand firm, you will fall flat. But fear not, I am with you. And that should give you the courage to face whatever the fears head on. As fearless as a skateboarder on a half pipe. You can face these fears, even more than them, <laughs> knowing God is with you. That you can go into any situation because the Lord is with us. And so fear not, you are not alone. Let me pray for us.